This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Sorrow with Insider Perks here, as always, with Karis Ismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We've got two guests with us today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves in a second, Mr. Doug Parker and Mr. Ryan Kratz. And we've got Joe Dumeg joining us shortly as well. He's actually giving a pitch to a chamber of commerce right now for his super cool app. So we hope he's successful and he can tell us good news when he comes on here. Uh, but we're really excited to welcome Joe here in a second. So this is our regular kind of campground owner-focused show, and so we normally uh, would have a couple more guests on the show with us today. They just had some other commitments, and so we'll hopefully rotate uh, some more of those people back in as we continue these weeks and months ahead. But super excited to be able to talk about a couple different things here. So, Mr. Ryan Crofts, you want to introduce yourself first? I know we've had you on the show before, but it's been some time, right? A couple months or longer? Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, it's been a yeah. My life got a little crazy for a while. It still is a little bit, but I'm a I work for Sun Outdoors, which is a new the new brand name for Sun Communities. We own almost 200 properties across the country. I'm a senior resort manager. I actually am running a couple properties that they own right now. I I bleed KOA Colors. I've always run KOA my whole life, and I'm also running another big property that they own down uh, in South Carolina right now. Awesome. Welcome, Ryan. Super excited to get your perspective. And then Doug Parker is brand new. None of you guys know Doug Parker, but we're going to get you to know him. Like we're going to introduce him to you. So Doug's been one of my friends for, I don't know, what, 12 years now, Doug? Something like that. We were talking about August 2010. Yeah. And so Doug run, runs this really big cruise site called cruiseradio.net, which I know you have it has nothing to do with outdoor hospitality, except when you're on deck, technically you're outdoors. So in a way it does. But beyond that, Doug bought an RV during the pandemic, started going around and camping and things like that. And then found a, a love for outdoor hospitality, started a new site called Current Camper that he's working on. And so Doug, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about maybe that journey that led you to yeah. RV? Yeah, for sure. So like you're like Brian was saying, I'm back in, we met in at a travel show in Orlando, Florida back in August of 2010. And I was just starting cruise radio, I have a radio background. And so it's a podcast. It was on a radio station, then it was strictly a podcast. But yeah, I just started cruise radio. I was growing it, growing it until 2020 came, comes along, March of 2020. And the cruise industry shut down, grinded everything to a halt. And I thought I was done after having 10, 11 years into doing this. And then uh, turns out people wanted to know what was happening next. So the news the cruise news saved me. Every move the cruise lines did, people were hanging on by every thread and I became an outlet and I guess a sense of an authority for the cruise industry. And I just grew it from there. And then I couldn't cruise, so I was beached for 16 months. So I bought a camper, just went down the camping, not camping world, but something like that here, a local place in Jacksonville. Had 14,000 cash, so what will it buy me? I got a 20 foot flight liner or something like that. I forgot what it's called. And I've been traveling the country. I've done uh, six trips out west since June of 2020. As our friend Ryan said, I'm a KOA guy too. You bleed by yellow. I do too. We want to introduce you to a few more things. No offense to Ryan, but there's some amazing properties out there, Doug. You went to Las Vegas RV Resort in, in Nevada, right? You told me that's not a KOA. Yeah, yeah that's not a KOA. In fact, we were right next door to a KOA. The reason why we picked this, the uh, RV Resort, is because this one was adults only, so 18 plus. Had to stay there. Some campgrounds, the, the kids are running, chasing each other, running through your campsites and all that stuff. And this, there was none. It's also weird too, because it was a big, uh, like five acre plot of concrete with where normally a campground is all dirt. This is all concrete right in the middle of the desert. So that was a, a cool experience too. Yeah, I know the owners of, or the management company, at least for Las Vegas RV Resort. They're really good guys and take care of the property. Yeah, super exciting to go there. So tell us, obviously this is a campground owner focused show in general, but specifically today we're focused on campground owners and what they're thinking about. And obviously Ryan's going to give us a ton of perspective into that, but just to continue on your story a little bit, what's on your mind as an RVer slash camper who's planning your trips for 2022 what at this time of the year are you looking at how are you researching how do you pick where you go i know it's a really broad question but 
Yeah. Yeah. I just, I start with Google and just do, for instance, we're planning a trip to Escalante, Utah at the end of next month. And we're just campgrounds near Escalante. And then this whole list comes up and then we'll all put in our group chat and pick, oh, well, this one has good Wi-Fi reviews. One of our friends is in med school and doing like online classes. So she has to do work at nighttime. So the Wi-Fi thing, I know when you go outdoors, you're supposed to disconnect and everything. We do, we have to make things happen. So yeah, just the amenities too. And also like for me personally, if, if the bathrooms are clean, I have a full bath and shower in my unit, but my buddies, they have a wet bath. So they like using regular, uh, the facilities there and all that. So. That's how we're picking it, but we're also looking to see as far as how far the campgrounds are away. Like this Escalante campground we're staying at, it's a non-KOA property, but it's, I think, 10 miles from one of the entrances to, I think it's Grand Staircase. So like we're doing that. And then this August, we've been planning this one for a year. We're going out to Glacier National up in Montana. Same type of research, just seeing what's out there. Is it, should we stay on the east side, the west side? What Hiking trails are closest, like the same thing we did with uh, like Yellowstone last year. So that's interesting. Like you plan, and I know it's obviously different for everybody based on what you're traveling, if you're bringing kids, how long you're staying and things like that. But it's interesting to see that kind of research lead time. And, and maybe Ryan, you can shed some light on this with some of the data you've seen. And I know we've talked about this on past shows, but what makes you plan? Is there a reason that you start planning so far in advance? Is there a lot of research that goes into your trip, Doug? Is it just because you're newer and don't have as much on the road experience or? Yeah, I'm very green here. Like I, I've, I, when I first got my camper, I went to a couple of places close to me, like a, a campsite in St. Mary's, Georgia, the KOA, the KOA down in Titusville, just to kick the tires and make sure I can actually do this before going 2,500 miles out West. Um, but yeah, the lead time is probably just because of my own experience, right? Like I've, I saw in 2020 when I was taking my camper out that these campgrounds were locked up. Like I was lucky to get into the KOA in Memphis just because it was, they had a cancellation last minute. Otherwise I'd be sleeping, which I don't care. I'll sleep, I'm fully like functional as a, my camper with the battery and everything. So I could sleep in a truck stop parking lot or whatever, but I'd rather have a place to plug in and all that stuff. So I've noticed that people are traveling. They're going outdoors. They're wanting to spend more time outdoors. I was even talking with the KOA owner in, um, in, Yellow, in West Yellowstone. And he was telling me the same thing. He was like, we're turning our reservation engine or whatever it's called is turning away. 200 people a day, this is in 2020, because we don't have enough sites. I think they have 400 sites at that location. So just the popularity is getting me to really plan far in advance and lock things in, at least have a deposit down. Are you going to Glacier K Lake? We, yeah, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's East Glacier or West Glacier. I can't remember right now. It's, it all goes, goes together. But uh, I yeah. love it. That place, that's probably the most beautiful K way in the system. I mean, it, and there's so many beautiful K ways, but. That was on the directory for three years in a row. It's the views of that property are out of this world. And Mike Atkinson is part of it. It's really, that's a very cool property. Yeah. And Brian, to answer some of that question. So Carolina Pines is property that were a little over a thousand sites. Our optimization of the reservation system is on and active. And we've already gone through, I think 13 price increases because of occupancy. Everybody is a, you know, and we're what February, like it's because we are so big. Everyone is a camper now. Uh, everyone went out and did the same thing. I've got this much money. How do I go camping? This is awesome. And to go to this, changing this conversation around the whole point of me being down here and, and covering this property was I was coming down to shoot some videos for the new guests. As a new guest checks in, what Doug is saying is spot on. Like you pick your properties based on amenities, location, is the bathrooms clean? And Wi-Fi is the biggest. If your Wi-Fi speaks, you better have the most spot on bathrooms ever. And that's one thing that we are working really hard right now with our Wi-Fi provider and, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep all these names quiet, but holding them accountable for this is the speeds we expect. And we've taken our Wi-Fi requirements across the board at Sun Outdoors from the industry standard five years ago was two meg up, two meg down and one meg up. And you can't even answer a zoom call at that type of speeds. And so we've realized that, okay, we want to be competitive in this industry. Free Wi-Fi is 10 down one up now, and everyone wants to disconnect. 
but I still want to be able to get my Facebook videos. And like, I think that's important. And that's something that I think dictates where everyone's going in. Like moms, they're booking their trip based on if you walk into a bathroom and it's really disgusting, you're not going back there. The moms decide the kids, are they having a great time? Good. Is the mom excited when she goes to the bathroom that she doesn't have to wear flip-flops? Okay, we'll come back here. And I think that's the most important thing. And if you're not booking four months, five months out, you're not going camping because it is camping. The camping industry is, I think Petoskey sold out for all of July and August already. Yeah. So, well, yeah, what are you, is that traditional four to five months now that we're, as obviously you're seeing this increase in demand, is that something you've heard? to the great yeah. at other sun outdoors properties or just in general from other owners or so i i know like at this property carolina pines it's it's like that toski was like that kava in california was like that every property that i've ever run especially over the last two and a half three years covid took it to a whole new level but before then it it was starting to ramp up and you're like uh-oh what's going on okay we're not normally busy on a wednesday and now all of a sudden we are yeah i like the perfect example, Petoskey has 50, 50, exactly 50 seasonal sites. And normally I would be selling seasonal sites into March and April. I have 312 people on the wait list wow. for 50 sites and no one left. And they realize if they leave, they're not coming back. Like you can't come back in a seasonal property and it's just unheard of. You just don't, that doesn't happen. And yeah, it's across the board. I think I, this is a great time to own campgrounds. And I think that's why Sun is developing properties as fast as we can, because there's not enough spaces out there. And you just drive past your local storage facility and see how many RVs are, or if they're ready to go somewhere. Yeah. Are you seeing the same kind of trends in Canada, Kara? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think our biggest hurdle right now certainly is site inventory. We do have a few kind of smaller issues impacting this stuff too. We're seeing aging infrastructure in some of our public park spaces. And, and so that stuff needs to be addressed to help keep that site inventory desirable. And at this point, when they are opening reservation systems for the year up here, uh, the, the sites are crashing. Like there's obviously appetite, huge appetite. It's tough to get a public campsite space up here at all in the operating season. So I think that creates a unique dynamic for our private campgrounds. And overall, we have a huge site inventory issue for sure. I, I, it's our, it's in my opinion, up here in Canada, it's our biggest hurdle to overcome because it, we really are seeing disenchantment from consumers who just can't find a space, can't find a place to go camp. So then they end up, they're boondocking or they're on crown land, so they're camping in that way. Which is great too. We need them to stay camping so that they keep camping. But yeah, we have some things to address here with the way that the demand exploded in 2020 with COVID and nobody really, I think, anticipated that it needs to be addressed for sure. It was an issue before COVID and it certainly magnified it. How does this change your behavior, Doug, from a camper perspective right now? We've talked about briefly your lead time that you do things in advance and struggling to get in places like Memphis, but does it change your behavior when you're on the road as far as maybe how often you're stopping or where you go or do you avoid popular places that you for sure are going to be sold out? So I, I probably do things just, I use the, the road tripper app. And so I just put in where I'm starting and my destination. And I just find things within a eight ish hour drive each day, sometimes a little further. If, if I don't, if I'm going to really mountainous terrain or expecting snow or whatever, I won't book something solid. I'll just play it wing it because I, I don't want to lose out if I don't make it to Denver or wherever Grand Junction because of a snowstorm. But yeah, it's, I don't know, the lead time is always going to be important for me just because like Kara was saying, the availability is just not there. It was even heck trying to get two sites next to each other this year for, we barely got it in Yellowstone last year. And then this year for Escalante and KOA up in Montana. Where it's, yeah, the early word gets the worm. So you're trying to book early so you can get a preference, I guess. Or a site at all. Yeah, <laughs> true. That's who. <laughs> and, and, and now every week we just have to start this with disclaimer. Nothing that I say on this show you should ever listen to or should be considered or construed as advice or anything that you should ever dispute me is basically what I'm saying. But I feel like there's an opportunity here for like bookies to scalp RV sites and maybe some bribes to go under the table to park owners. Like you could make a lot of money. Slide <laughs> the actually, site to the side. A couple hundred bucks. That issue here in, in Canada specific to public, public sites, public park spaces, there's 
there was a huge issue with it last year. They had their looking at legislation and specifically stating you cannot transfer this reservation to anybody else because people were doing that. They were grabbing up as many sites as they could from the online reservation system and then reselling them. So absolutely, it's you're not the first crazy person to think of this. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not advocating it and you shouldn't do it. And again, hopefully I'm on mute, but I, I, it really honestly brings up a good, I think that's going to be another challenge, seriousness for campground owners as we move forward. How do I deal with this? And if you look at what Ryan was saying that they've increased prices dynamically 13 plus times down there at Carolina Pines already. And I'm sure like a lot of other properties are following the same math. If you're using dynamic pricing, if you're not using dynamic pricing, I feel like I want to cry for you right now because of the money you're throwing away. But the ability of those tools to continue to enhance your revenue in an automated way, the sky's the limit here. It also speaks to what uh, you were talking about with the 200 uh, guests being turned away. Uh, on a daily basis, I think that really speaks to the importance of using online reservation software. I really think if campgrounds are not doing that yet, there's a huge, you know, potential that they're not capturing there. It's clear that the consumer, that's how they want to book and how they want to search and plan their trips. But so you need to, in my opinion, it's another added service. I know a lot of campgrounds say we prefer to have our guests call and all those things like. You might have guests call, but you're going to have more guests book online and that's going to change the dynamic. And essentially, like I said, it's an additional level of customer service. It's not necessarily about you and your business operations anymore. It's about how the customer wants their experience to go. Right. Yeah, well, we're, is... we're spending so much money on developing websites because it used to be, you're, you're right, five years ago. The only way people would ever book a site is, oh, I got to call a camper. I got to know. And now online, you can select your site. And yeah, it is an additional fee. And I think when it first rolled out with the selector site feature, it was like, so you're going to pay more to pick what site I want? Like, how dare you? But it's like one of those, you don't understand from the campground owner side, like we want to fit in as many people as we can. And if you select a specific site, we like, okay. Yeah, Doug wants two sites together. Okay, if we can move people around and get them two sites, like, oh yeah, why wouldn't we? Like, let's help him out. And that's why we have the site feature. But now I would say 80% of our reservations are all done online because you can pull up the map. You know exactly where the pool's at. You don't have to like, what's your best site? Because like they all have site links. You can actually see, you can pull up photos of every site. And okay, this is what it's going to look like when I arrive there. And like, I don't need people like, most people don't even like talking to us. It's great. Like they love the website and it's hard to mess up on a website. So yeah, it's, it has huge implications for staffing costs, first of all, but then it also really shifts the guest perspective. Like I said, about what their experience is going to be once they get there, because all the information and data is set out for them. They have this really great first impression that, that your property really understands what they're seeking, what they're looking for, what they want. They, we could serve up great. FAQ pages and, and all of the policies and all of those things to them before they ever even book. And so that I, I look back to my days as a campground owner and there was times where there was, it would take five or six back and forth phone calls with one guest to get a confirmed reservation. They call and the phone's busy. So they leave a message. So you call them back and their phone, then they're not there. So you leave a message and then like this insane inefficiency. To get one reservation in the door is completely wiped off the map now. And they can book at 1 a.m. when they're on their computer if they want. And they don't have to wait for the office to open. There's so many little idiosyncrasies with the way that used to go that guests just don't want to have to deal with anymore. And I, I think that we obviously still have that segment of guests who wants to call and has that old school. They want that human connection stuff. And they're going to still call. But... If 80% of your reservations are coming through your online software, the, the implications for efficiency are crazy to me. Yeah, well, I feel like anyone I, wouldn't. I want to dive into that. I'm so sorry. We're just on a lag. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to dive into that, but I'd like to get Doug's perspective on as you plan these trips, Doug, what goes through your mind? Do you need online reservations? Are you wanting to call to ask questions? Does that change or has it been different with COVID and needing to ask other questions that you would normally ask? What is your, what's your process? I don't know if I, I do call though. I call the campground only to find out like, 
okay, how far are you from the trailhead or the entrance to the park or to the supermarket? The things that's not listed on the website, which I feel like all that stuff should be at least at hotels.com have your XYZ from this and this and this. I feel like a lot of campsites, campgrounds should have that on their sites. That's as far as the engagement though, past that, and if I don't need like a special preference and I can't find it online or whatever, I'm like, well, Ryan, I just want to roll in there, go to my campsite and be cool, set up and camp for a week. Do I mind talking to people? No, but, and I, it's good to have some interaction, but it's just, it's awesome to say, Hey, I'm in spot number 13. I know where it is already. Cause I've seen it on the PDF and I just go right to it. And then usually one of the managers comes over to you or whatever. That's like the best way for me. Yeah. And I think you can really shift that experience too. You can still deliver that personal connection, but now. You have a reserve, you have a reservation in the door already. So now you can call them. Hey, I just want to say thanks for booking with us. Give any guest information. There's ways to still deliver that personal, really connected experience to them and eliminate all that calling back and forth and taking credit card numbers and filling out how many feet everybody's RV is. It just, there's a better way to, to do it. Absolutely. Nothing's more exciting than screaming your credit card while driving down the expressway <laughs> over at home. And like the word in front of all the guests screaming that they want to pay for this gumball. Yeah. Or two. Is that a two? Two. And yeah, it just goes back and forth. You're like, I just, yeah, it's yeah. so good. And like even the KOA app, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but they added, you can plan multiple trips now. So you go to this site map and like, okay, I know I want to be in West Glacier and I'm going to book all of these at the same time, swipe my credit card once and boom, I'm all set. And man, that is so convenient. Yes. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I think it's, we've covered this before on the show, right? It's changing a lot of behaviors, not just from the people who used to call to the online ones, to the different generations wanting to only book online, but it's also changing consumer expectations so much. And let Doug's saying, put a frequently asked question section on your website, identify what people are calling and asking repeatedly, save your staff time and have your web developer put it there. And unfortunately, we're, as we've covered many times before, right? We're in a situation where this industry kind of, lags behind other industries as far as uh, modern websites and marketing and some tools like that. And, and we're rapidly catching up, but that's still some of the feedback that some owners need to hear of, of this is what Doug's doing. These are what other RVers are doing. And we need to be putting these resources on the website, whether it's Wi-Fi or 3G connectivity or the questions that Doug was asking or COVID policies or whatever it may be. And then not only that, like Ryan was saying, thumbnails of photo sites. I can't tell you how many clients we have that we deal with or parks that I know that have reservation systems without thumbnails on their sites. And so they're available there, they have online reservations, but now people are gonna to start to expect that pick a site. They're gonna to start to expect the site map that's pretty. They're gonna to start to expect to see thumbnails of all that stuff. And the longer that you take to adopt this in a mindset or a framework where you're at, the more that consumers are, again, there's an inventory shortage. So for now you're okay, because they're gonna to come to you eventually when they can't find other sites other places, but long-term, it's going to be a struggle for you. I feel it's going to continue to grow wider as this gap as technology continues to be adopted. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it really um, motivates properties to elevate because of that competitive level. And I think, I mean, nobody wants to be the campground that everybody settled for. So I think there's this appetite to, to compete and be desirable and the parks that do that well are going to be the most successful for sure. I think from a consumer standpoint too, though, like if I'm going to, I forgot what it was like in Green Valley, Utah or something, uh, when we stayed at one of the, when we hiked last year, the slot canyons, but there were two different sites there. And one of them had like drone photos of the campsite. One of them had the amenities and all that. And the other one didn't. And the other one could have blown the KOA away. I don't know. It could be totally awesome, but because there was all these photos and info and exactly how far it was from the interstate and everything on site A. I booked that and site B could have been just as awesome, but it had none of that. And I was too lazy to do that, do the homework and research it just because we're all doing so much stuff these days. Yep. yep. Professional photo shoots is where it's at. If I could recommend the best marketing dollars spent at any property, professional photo shoots, hundred percent worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It certainly, there's a ton to be said about setting that initial guest impression before they ever set foot on your property so that they. It, I think it just, like I said, makes parks, forces them to be more competitive with each other and do things in a really unique forward thinking way. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi. 
I've, uh, I've been in the backstage listening for a, a little bit. I missed the beep that you came in. I apologize. But before you start talking, did your chamber presentation go well? Because we were plugging that you were like going to be super uh, successful. Sorry. Like, yeah, we had a, a couple people that wanted to talk to us for a while and their power went out and then came back on and, and ended up making us run late. Sorry about that. But no, for you, did it go uh, good? I think so. I think so. All right. Yeah. Good. We want, we want to turn you on, Joe. That's why I wanted to know. Well, well no, for a couple of weeks. Um, just talking about online reservations, we just got done with a four-month camping trip, and I think I might have booked one site not using online reservations, unless they were customer of ours and we were just emailing them. But we, I never, I'll never, but I almost never call a campground to a reservation. And yeah, as Doug said, I'm looking for things on their website that has information about the park about the amenities and that's what we do when we put things in an app they can go and see all of that information about it and what's going on in their activities what's going on in their area before we go to joe if you want to introduce yourself to our audience real quick because i know you didn't have a chance to do this i know you've been on the show a couple times before but what did you hear who everybody else was i know you, i mean you might probably know ryan i've been on with ryan before and then i just looked on your uh list to see doug's background as well but no, Joe Dimming with the app, my community, we make mobile apps for RV parks. Every one of our customers has their own app in the app store. Mainly focuses on customer engagement and helping them navigate the park while they're on property. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Joe. So yeah, what are you, what's on your mind, Joe? Just let you pipe into the, the discussion here as you're planning your trips for 2022. What are you looking at? What's your behavior? How are you finding the inventory shortages? Things like that. I know we've already discussed, but just let you share your perspective too. Well, so we haven't been booking for this summer uh, since we just got off of a long trip, right? So we just got done with uh, four months. But one of the things that so we took, we have six children. We took them all out of school for the fall uh, to do our traveling because we knew that last summer would have been impossible to do this. And we, the, everything when we would go try to book for summer was too complex, too hard to actually get in for any length of time or we're not staying at the place that we want to be. And so that's actually why we took, did the fall and we hit our, we hit people in their shoulder seasons. And so we started up north in, in August, and then we went south as, as it got closer to Thanksgiving. And so we were still beating the snowbirds there. And then we came home right after Thanksgiving. We managed to, to do it so that we only had one campground that we couldn't book at too long because they were too, too busy. So. It worked out pretty well for us. But again, we were in the shoulder season for that reason. I think that's going to be, it's, that's a result of this site inventory stuff too, is people are exploring camping in different ways. And I actually just saw an article of Brian on Modern Campground about winter camping being up 40% since 2019. Yeah. Mind blows my mind. So I think people are being more creative or expressing more willingness to camp in different ways and, and have different experiences to avoid that the craziest July and August times, which is great to see. Obviously there's limitations for some campgrounds about being able to offer services uh, specific to that. But I think if nothing else, campground owners are pretty adaptable. So winter camping is up 40%. Well, that's what we've talked about, right? How this behavior is shifting in all factors of the industry, not just because of COVID, it was happening before, but there's this demand now. And we've talked to park owners in the show who have added Christmas events who are getting, they were open year round before, but maybe it was only two or three cabins and a couple RV sites at the front, but that's those Christmas celebrations, those Thanksgiving things are the things that traditionally they'd be closed for are helping them drive that occupancy to rates that they never even dreamed possible. Uh, Marvel Resort in Oklahoma is one of the ones that we had on the guest uh, you know, show guest, I think early December last year, it was talking about those kinds of things. And I've said on the show before, and maybe Ryan wants to pipe in a little bit just with his opinion on this overall. I think that as you move forward and get more of these larger groups like Sun and the hedge funds and the developers and the people who own multiple properties into the space, and even some of the adaptable people, right? The owners who are willing to pivot into adopt new technology, the small family on campgrounds, those kinds of places too. I think you're going to see them start to say, how can we stay open longer? And, and is that an option for me now? Do I have to bury my pipes deeper? Do I have to pivot? Do I add more glamping units? What does that look like? But I think that opportunity for revenue is staggering. Completely agree. Yeah, really untapped. Yeah, it, I think the, for the campground owner, the large fund, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, why wouldn't we keep it open? The issue that we have in the operation side is staffing, staffing, staffing. And you start extending your seasons longer than six months. You just took a part-time employee and turned them into a full-time with full benefits. And, oh, man, that's not as easy. And so then the obvious curious, well, if we open in the winter, just the manager takes care of it. Oh, boy, that 
sounds not fun, but I agree. If I owned a property, why not extend your, what do you have to lose? We here are open year round and we had a cold spell in South Carolina and one night we blew 15 hydrants and okay, that was expensive. And was it worth being open in the cold when your, your risk is high and you're asking a, a smaller fee, right? It's $40 night instead of 140, but you're taking the risk of, okay, if they don't shut that water pipe off and disconnect their hose. Are we willing to pay the fee to change it? And, uh, and so I hope that before they decide that they really take into account every detail of it instead of, yes, it's a big, it's a, it's positive money that we don't have because there's a lot of risk to extending seasons like that. But yeah, I think there is money there for sure. Well, and I think you have to adapt to it slowly over time, right? Like you're, you're going to learn about those mistakes, learn about the blowouts, the things you haven't foreseen because you weren't open in the winter. And then maybe instead of $40, it's 50 or 60 or 70 next year, instead of 140 or whatever it is, especially as demand continues to increase. So I think that opportunity is there and I'll play devil's advocate and say, you're talking about issues with staffing shortages, but I'll play devil's advocate. We talked about this on the show before. Part of the issue that we, that some campgrounds have with recruiting is that you can't offer them a full-time year long job. And so that opens you up to a bigger job pool, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on location and, and kind of who your target staff options are mostly dealing with students and things like that. Then obviously that, that changes that dynamic. But I know in my experience with my team, anybody who I was open and able to operate year round just with limited number of sites. And so the couple of team members that had those full-time positions were pretty coveted. And I had a couple of instances where somebody in that full-time position left. And so we had the seniority, these guys were fighting over those positions. So, you know, I do think there's appetite to, to find the right staff who, who want to, to do that. And again, Ryan's got a great point about you have less capacities, so you need less bodies potentially there's there's a lot to go into operating in the winter anywhere that has cold season i would argue for me as an operator it was far more stressful for me in those winter months despite i had i was at 30 percent capacity limitation by my county by my operating permit in the winter and it was more stressful for me to operate the winter with a third of the people in the park then in the summertime when things were rolling and I had a full team and I didn't, I didn't have to worry about things freezing, but we certainly had our fair share of like electrical transformers blowing up because we had 200 air conditioners running at once and things like that. Problems happen all, all year round. <laughs> all right. Let's say you that Ryan, you got a rebuttal for that. Problems happen all year round. Yeah, I do, but you won't like it. It's uh... I would take an AC over a broken mate. That's the thing. It's $1,800 for a tractor to come in and dig up your water line. And I, I think, yeah, my, my grandpa owned a KOA and boy, we kept that sucker open as long as we could. And then after we closed, we did a winter wonderland where we hung Christmas lights. And so I, I think there is opportunity to maybe use your property in different ways where you do like a Christmas drive-through show or something like that, that has less risk than an RV park because even depending on where you're at, okay, you're in Canada, you get five feet of snow. You have to account for plowing out these sites and shoveling snow to the bathrooms. And does it make more sense to just build a winter wonder wonderland and have people drive through and then do a boy scout or something like that, where maybe you get out of camping for a little bit. I'm a manager, so I think of this very differently, but winter is the time where I recollect my thoughts and get my team hired for next year. And okay, I need to get this stuff ordered and redo my store and this, the shower facility needs to be redone. And if I leave the place open, yes, I am getting positive income, but now I have to, I'm splitting up my task again from, I can't just focus on the bathrooms and restorations and stuff like that. I am now, I'm dealing with staff conflict still and bathroom projects. And now this customer's upset because they were walking out of their RV and slipped on a patch of ice. I'm thinking as an operator, not an owner. If I was an owner, for sure, I would leave that sucker open. But like I said, winter was the most stressful time between like clearing snow and those fundamental additions on everything. Plus, like I said, less, less staff and support and all of that. I completely agree. I was an owner operator and as much as there was 
obviously some benefit to making that choice to be open throughout the year. It certainly had its cost. I agree with, I agree with Ryan completely about the recalibration. We, uh, our customers get done with a summer and they don't even want to talk to us until January. They want to take that time just to relax. And then come January, they have us helping them and we, we get pretty busy. But at the same time, I think Brian's right that people adapt. We have parks in Michigan that are year round. We have a park in Rapid City that's year round. Those temperatures there in Kara, obviously, Rapid City and uh, Michigan are nothing in comparison to there. But, <laughs> but the fact that they can get by and they can stay open year round means mm-hmm. pretty much everybody. And they've obviously, those parks have done some sort of cost benefit analysis on it. Otherwise, they wouldn't still be open. And one of them, very small scale owner operator park. One of them is not. It's a very large scale, not owner-operated park. But I think people adapt, like Brian said. I was just going to say to that point, Joe, I really think there's so many variables that play into a decision like that, that it really has to come down to your unique park, where you're located, what your staffing scenario is potentially like. There's so many decisions that go, that like I'd argue are higher on the priority list for making those choices than even your fundamental model, whether you're a really big park or a corporate or whatever, I think those are less important on the list of things that factor into that decision potentially than a lot of really basic, like logistical variables about your park. But knowing that there's this appetite, this 40% increase in winter camp, I mean, let's be real, (laughs) 40% of zero, just zero. (laughs) I'd love to see some real numbers, but overall, if there's obviously this big increase, there's obvious appetite for it. And in my opinion, as a, as an operator would, would be worth exploring depending on my individual variables for sure. But look at this from a consumer's perspective. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Doug, like from a consumer perspective, you are a big skier as we've talked about before. So what would you be willing to go camping in the middle of winter? Is there certain things that you need or require that you don't want during the summer? How do you look at that? Okay. So if I'm skiing in the, or if I'm camping rather in the winter time, it's here in the Southeast because I'm from Florida, born and raised. And I've had a couple of close calls on 70 out in Colorado and stuff where I don't feel safe pulling a 4,000 pound camper behind me, but I camp here all the time in the Southeast, like, uh, right up here down the road, there's uh, the KOA in St. Mary's, Georgia, Charleston, Savannah. Like there's a lot of places to go down this area. And I love camping in the winter. Now, granted, we're not in Canada. We're not up in the Northern part of the U S or in the Northwest where it gets zero. And we're talking about cold for us is 40 degrees, which is like windows open kind of night for me. Terrible. But no, I guess, let me continue that question and just push you a little bit. Cause is there a reason that, and I know you don't do it now, but is there a reason that, and then the setting aside the comfortables of driving the rig for a second, right? That would make you want to go camping during the winter. Let's say, I know my girlfriend's a big skier. And one of the things that we look at when we go to different resorts to let her ski is where are those hotels located? What if there's a campground that's right at the foot of the lodge where you can walk out of your camper and go, you know, right to the ski hill and you don't have to get in your car and drive 10 or 20 miles or kilometers to it. Are are there things, I guess I'm asking hypothetically that might change your perception of that? I'm wondering if, I wonder if maybe I could help you with that is I think that's why we're putting cabins in everywhere is I think cabins is the answer to what you're trying to get to is Okay. Yeah. Winter camping is up 40%. Cabin can be winterized and, you know, insulated underneath. And now all of a sudden you have a ski cabin at a KOA where I don't know if you've ever RV'd in the dead of winter, but we bought one to come down here for a project. And I went through 40 gallons of propane in two days. Uh, these RVs are designed to heat. And that's one of the things like if I ever build a property in Canada, I would run natural gas to every site or propane line that they can connect into because there's nothing more terrifying than run out of propane at three in the morning. And you're like, okay, I'm going to lose everything. And this is the scariest thing in the world. But vacation rentals, these cabins, maybe that is your winter camping destination. Like I still want to go to campground. I still want that experience. And I think if you're going to do that, you really got to plan it out and you make those steps with, with geothermal heating systems so that they don't ice over. So you're not filling out incident reports every time someone checks in, but I think there is possibilities in using those during the winter. I, I don't know if RVs is where, yeah, maybe that makes more sense. 
I got to say, so being as close as my park was to Banff National Park, that's what kept us going in the winter was we actually had Aussies, Australians come and rent RVs from our rental Mm -hmm. agencies and then stay with us and then be able to jump around to any of the local resorts. Those guys are pretty hardy (laughs) folks, but that was essentially what was the motivator for us to, I lived on site. And so in the winter, in the early years of that, we weren't open in the winter and I had these guys showing up being like, can we just have a site? So yeah, we started to embrace that, but yeah, it's not for everybody. Certainly not for the faint of heart. We sold a boatload of propane. (laughs) 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 So yeah, there's, I completely agree. I think cabins are the way to go. If I had stuck around there, I think I probably would have invested a significant amount of money into exploring that specifically for the winter and marketing it that way. I think there's obviously appetite to get out and not necessarily stay at a hotel and have that more flexibility that you get from a campground property. And arguably in the winter time, there's barely anybody in the campground. Like it's a nice, really remote kind of different experience than in a resort or whatever. Yeah, I'll take your... Go ahead, uh, please. I was to say, just uh, to solidify what Brian, uh, what Ryan was saying, last March I went up to Lava Springs, Idaho, and they have I think eight cabins on their property, little chalets or yeah, cabins I guess they're called. And I was talking to the cleaners because I'm very curious. It's all so fascinating to me. And she was saying that they're basically booked year round every single night. And I was like maybe one of four people in the KOA park that actually had a rig. Everyone else was camping in the cabins. Yeah. That part's yeah. awesome. I love it there. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think you're both, you're all right and on the same track that, yes, obviously, as we see this increase in glamping, and we've got Ruben Martinez, who appears on the show the first week of every month with us from the American Glamping Association, and we touch on those points, and I think you're right. It, glamping, cabins, accommodations, whatever that can be more insulated are definitely the, the way to go. Not only are they more popular all year round uh, and complement your RV park, but they also command higher rates in many instances. But I think you also bring up a good point, Ryan, with, and again, I have no idea, this is probably way too expensive, but there are some things technology-wise that are coming down the pipe are already available that do make winter camping more accessible. And, and maybe there's a situation in the future where some high-end resort does run natural gas to all the sites and you meter your propane, just like you meter your electric. Or maybe you put geothermal heating under the sidewalks or you, you run those, like I've got the heating mats outside my house, right? To make sure I don't have to chop ice away from my steps. Maybe you put those under the cement pads of your RV site so nobody ever slips and falls. Or I think there's all my, kinds of ways. patio heaters. Yeah. My son is currently 11 years old and in line to probably inherit the campground I keep talking about. And he jokes all the time about how he wants to put like a dome, like a force field, a climate force field. When he inherits the park, his life plan. Steve King did it in that one movie. Obviously, that was real. <laughs> yeah. He's going to, he's going to control the climate within his campground resort and just like make it epic all year round. That's his life plan. I feel like honestly, by the time like 20, 30 years goes by, like he might have a realistic shot at some of that stuff. The way technology is advancing, you never know. One of the hardest things you think is going to be, as you were talking about Brian, where a lot of the conglomerate owned parks might move toward the winter schedule a little more than others is that it might put a little more pressure on the mom and pops to, to do that staying open longer. That's one of the concerns you might end up having for some of those not planning on doing winter and end up getting left behind a little bit. Yeah. That's the same thing we were talking about earlier. I don't know if you've been on the show yet, but with expectations changing as Mm -hmm. people move from phone to online and seeing site photos and being able to select their site on a PDF map and uh, all that kind of stuff is going to change, including winter camping to a certain extent, but yeah. yeah, I think there's all kinds of options here for owners, whether it's RV sites or it's cabins or like we're talking about the just having the winter wonderland, not having your actual sites open. There's plenty of use cases. Set some kids free and have them track down bear paw prints to where the bear's sleeping. All kinds of things you can do, right? Low maintenance. You don't even have to supervise them. Uh, so. the, the local Jellystone here <clears throat> near me has been basically there in my entire life. So at least the past that I remember. So at least the past 30 years has been, uh, it switches over to Santa's magical kingdom and they've done it for 30 years now. And I've heard rumors. I have no idea if it's true, but the rumor is that they make more money off of that than they do off camping. There's cars that are pulled out to the interstate for that for two months. 
Yes. I, re oh. I remember waiting in line for some of those places when we used to drive through. And just to be clear, I was talking about Yogi Bear. So nobody get the wrong impression from what I said. I love them. The Everybody just ignores your. That's crazy. what they should do. I'm that, that means they probably have me on mute. So it's good. Yeah. Um, well, but really, like, what else is there that we can brainstorm real quick in the last couple minutes that we have for park owners? We've got winter wonderlands. What else could they do with their property? I think there's events, there's overflow, there's, heck, you could even do parking for certain specific events, right? If you really wanted to, I don't know how much of a moneymaker that is. It depends if they're in a college town, if they're close to a college town. Um, but now granted, they're probably renting their sites then, even if they're, even if they're off season in the winter, those sites are probably taken if it's a college football town. Mm -hmm. But so, if you're, you know, if you're in Lansing, Michigan and you aren't, doing that you might think about parking here's a question know, i'm an outsider here so i'm just asking this i'm gonna i could be asking a stupid question but for my camper it's like 150 that's a lot behind cube smart a month to pay mom here in jacksonville is it are there campsites around the u.s that could actually like is there close time stored for the winter time or just like charge whatever a month yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's actually something we do at petoskey is yeah that's one of the things rv storage you can it's $250. I think we could probably charge a lot more, but it's $250 for the off season because it doesn't really cost us anything. That was one thing that we did. Another thing we used to do like the Christmas wonderland where you'd set up all these Christmas lights, have people drive around. And then once that season was done, we would do like police training, fire truck. They're always looking for places to hide things and let their dogs go find it. Or life flight would land in our ball field all the time to like practice simulated events and you're just getting free publicity like people are driving by taking what that's so cool and if you can do events like that with your community like use your off season to build your community your local town to fall in love with you because during the summer they hate like you are so loud the police are always there use the winter to man what can we do for you guys and like the volunteer fire department they could not wait to bring their big toys out and play. And like we had a lake and so they would do scuba training and stuff like cool. that. There's so many possibilities to do things yeah. that it doesn't make you a fortune, but man, it, it makes you very popular in the community when, you know, summer comes and you need life flight, boy, they get there in a hurry because they know where to land. They know how to land. You know, it, it's there's a price on that goodwill too. That's almost, I would argue way higher than the money you're even making. Yep. I have a couple of campground members who host like community uh, markets, vendor markets and things like that in the off season or the shoulder season. One of them is like fully charity, all the funds and stuff for the space rental goes to charity. And then I think, again, that's another thing that the community really embraces as you're kind of supporting all these small businesses in your community. Those are great ways to make some dollars for sure. You bring up the market. There was an, a campground. I think they canceled it last minute, but, and, and maybe it wasn't the campground. They were just leasing their land in Northern Alberta that I saw, but there's an opportunity to do like one of those German European Christmas markets at your place too, where you invite external vendors in and they set up shop and people come browse. And there's all kinds of things that you could just, if you want to, you can brainstorm and toss out there and make some revenue from, I feel like. Absolutely agree. So what else we got? Anything we're missing? We got about five minutes left here. Anything, Ryan, Joe? Doug, got all kinds of ideas. What do you need? <laughs> I got any, I'll take any ideas. That's what the show is all about. In regard to the stories, I have seen a lot of winter Florida parks package those together. Mm -hmm. um, their off seasons a little differently, that a little different than the northern parks. But they, if you do four months, it costs so much. But if you'll do six months, uh, then you'll get free storage for the summer. Or for or, yeah, for the summer, and so that kind of allowed them to make people that are only going to stay there four months will pay for six. So they don't have to move the rigs back and forth because effectively yeah. they'll just leave them on that site in, in those cases, because they're not renting that site out all with all summer long. That's what we used to do at my park. We would package that so they would stay for us for the, the six months in a seasonal site. And then while they're gone to Arizona or Florida or whatever for the winter, they'd leave their site be, or their RV behind and then just pay for storage there. That was obviously a big portion of our business because we were reduced capacity in the winter time. So those other, the other 70% of my sites were able to, to utilize for storage and bring some dollars in that way. It's great passive income and an additional way to add that extra level of service to, to guests for sure. 
I wonder what would be fascinating to me is to understand if the behavior of the consumers, now that there's this huge site inventory, even down in the States, does that change with park operators? Do they now take some of those bundles that they were used to using for storage and convert them into sites because there's such a high demand that they can sell them for a higher rate? And does that cascade down into now I have no place to store my rig? Do I have to pay double, triple what even Doug's paying at CubeSmart to store my RV? And is that another opportunity for RV site owners? I think that's going to depend a lot on the type of park. Of course. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah, uh, you're on a park, they're still in the summer. They're still empty unless you're in certain areas. Even during COVID, like it hasn't gotten any better. I'm certain that in the middle of summer, in the middle of Florida, in the middle of summer, it's empty. We were at, when we were camping a few years ago, um, we were primarily in Florida over summer. We'd be in a park that has 400 sites and there were 20 people there. It's just too hot, humid, and it's not fun to camp. Unless you're in Key West. I couldn't find a campsite in the Keys for six months. It was insane. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're in, if you're in Key West, if you're in Tampa, one of the major right. cities, but if you're in the middle of Florida where a lot of those winter Florida parks are, yeah, it's buggy, it's hot. Uh, our, children, our children thought that when you go to an RV park, you get your own. That's what they thought of that trip. Is that they, RV park just have our own pool. So. <laughs> that's an amenity, Ryan. Take note of that. <laughs> Because it's not right. the super luxurious $1,200 night sites in the Caribbean where you have your own pool. So might be a thing. Just saying. Uh, all right. Thank you guys. Fortune somewhere. So yeah. Thank you guys. I really, I've seen some of the stuff Sun's building. It's beautiful. So it might just fit right in. I'm just saying. You should, yeah. You should, uh, you should look up some of the photos of this property. It is. I've never seen a park like it. I've, it's uh, gorgeous. I've seen them. Yeah. Incredible. Palm trees. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. We really appreciate everybody being here with us. Mr. Ryan Kratz, I believe, hopefully is going to join us pending his availability once a month here in the third week, hopefully, if we can secure him. Well, I know we're not committing you to anything. We're just kind of putting it out there publicly so people have expectations and we don't want to disappoint him, Ryan. And then we've got Doug here. Hopefully, Doug will continue to join us for a couple of weeks here if he feels uh, comfortable on the show. But we're super excited to have his perspective just from an RV or getting new into the industry. I think it's very valuable. And, and Kara, Doug is going to come up to Glacier in the summer. We're trying to get him to cross the border. And come see right on. Uh, us and go to Banff and stuff. So hopefully well, we can do yeah. that and maybe do a live show together. We'll see. But yeah, really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, again, as a reminder, we're available on a podcast after this on mcfiresidechats.com, Apple, Google, all those kind of places if you want to go back and listen to us. We'll see you next week for our RV industry show. we got all kinds of good guests on there. Phil Gracia from RV, RVDA, Eleanor Ham from RVDA Canada, Shane Devinish from CRVA, our regular guests. And then we got Jessica who's going to join us from the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. That's going to be on to talk about some of the legislative initiatives that they're working on. We've got Matt from Matt's RV Reviews is going to be a new guest. And we've got Kurt Rapanchik coming back from National Park Traveler, I think. So packed show full of RV industry, National Park, outdoor kind of good stuff. Other than that, we will see you next week. Take care. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 